Roster cuts are already rolling in. We'll update you on where the Vikings stand as well as answer your questions on the Locked On Vikings podcast. You like it on three, one, two, three. You, like it! you are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. What's up, what's up, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Locked On Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I am your host, Luke Braun, and let's find some joy today. You can find the Locked On Vikings podcast wherever you find your favorite shows, whether it is any app where you listen to podcasts, also YouTube and Amazon Fire and Roku if you download the Locked On Minnesota Sports app. Thank you all so much for making Locked On Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. I appreciate you all so much. And today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDONNFL for 20 bucks off of your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Today is Twitter Tuesday on the show, but before I get to answering the questions that you all have submitted, I've got some things to catch up with you on. Yesterday, I did a 53-man roster prediction. It's already wrong. Of course it is. Um, and in fact, I recorded it on Sunday afternoon and about an hour after I finished making it and it was ready to go live, uh, the Vikings traded Vidarian Lowe to the Patriots for a sixth round pick. Um, so that immediately screwed up my whole thing. I had a whole deal in there about how Oli Udo would get traded because of his contract and um, how I didn't think he really played well enough to make the team. So it might've been one of these conditional sevenths in 2026 kind of deals. Um, but they get a real draft pick at least one next year and it's a sixth round pick. So it's not a, a high pick, but neither was Vidarian Lowe. He himself was a sixth round pick. So you draft a guy in a sixth round, you come into uh, his, he, he comes into his rookie season. He basically stays stashed on the team inactive for most of the games. I think if not all of them, uh, and then you trade him for that same sixth round pick. And there's actually a question coming in from somebody. Oh, it's the first one. It's from Cam X Storm, QM X Storm. I love that name. Who asks, hey, when should we be concerned about Quasi's process? I think that the low trade really highlights a flawed approach to roster building. Flipping a former sixth round pick that you developed for a year and appeared to be outplaying your other backup tackle for another sixth is a red flag. I don't know if it's a red flag. I also am not 100% sure if you're being serious because of your bit, which if you're not, uh, respect. Although there are people who do seriously have that take and I do want to address it anyways. So I'm just going to address the idea that like this is some like really bad thing. Uh, honestly, it just kind of feels like you, you're you just taking a mulligan on a sixth round pick, but it like actually is a mulligan in that it didn't count. You just have your sixth round pick back and we're going to try again, right? Um, I do think that Vidarian Lowe had been playing outplaying Oli Udo. Most people agree with me there. Like, that's not a hot take. But if Vidarian Lowe gets you a sixth and Oli Udo gets you a little bit of cap space and, like, a conditional draft pick that doesn't matter, um, I, taking the sixth round pick over the marginal cap space and stupid draft pick kind of feels like the decision there. And then you go, yeah, and the dis and the distance between Vidarian Lowe and Oli Udo isn't that large. That's what I, where I think the Vikings are at. And for my money, I disagree with that. I say keep your best players uh, and, and, you know, do your third round draft finagling somewhere else. Um, but it sounds like Oli Udo, that, that means Oli Udo will be the swing tackle unless he also gets traded away and then somebody else comes in to do it, right? Um, but 
in terms of exploding it out to, are we concerned about Quasi's process? Man, I don't know. He's just trying to do like, he's trying to do the never go broke, make a profit thing. Or you, yeah, you'll never go broke making a profit kind of thing with team building, which is fine. But there's also this sort of mathematical fallacy where if you spend every hour of your time doing something that costs you $2,000, but makes you $2,001, you're only making a dollar an hour. That's not enough. Like you have to profit by enough. Uh, to to make those sorts of moves worth it. In this particular case, it's bottom roster stuff for bottom roster level assets. It's nickels and dimes, trading pennies for nickels, whatever, right? Um, ultimately, it means Ole Udo is going to be the swing tackle. I don't fully fully agree with it, but hey, if the team's a little higher on him than I am, I get it. I, I do get it. I see, especially in the run game, what they like Ole Udo doing and the fact that he's a veteran and the fact that he's... Um, played pretty well in other scenarios. He played pretty well as a tackle last year in relief of Brian O'Neill after Blake Brandell went down and they moved Blake Brandell now. And that's going to inform their opinion as much as the preseason is. So I can throw my hands up and say, all right, you know what? You take this one and that's fine. Um, Elsewhere in the world of cuts, the Vikings have made, uh, I think, 17 total roster cuts. So in terms of wave waivers, uh, they have cut Calvin Avery, Kalon Barnes, CJ Colden, uh, Christian Delorio, Jamison Houston, who joined them like two seconds before the, the last preseason game, Wilson Huber, Garrett Mogg, Abram Smith, Josh Sokol, Jordan Ta'amu, there's an interesting one, Colin Thompson, and Jared Williams. So a lot of the guys that joined in the middle of camp uh, are getting waived here as well as some of the undrafted dudes that were very, very far from the roster, like CJ Colden and Calvin Avery and Garrett Mogg, uh, but also guys like Josh Sokol and um, guys like Jordan Ta'amu or Colin Thompson that maybe could have, uh, that that had enough opportunities to maybe, or Wilson Huber, who had a lot of opportunities in the preseason. Um, they also waived injured Tay Gowan, who I thought was closer to the roster than, than uh, I, I was expecting him to be. But waived injured, that's a real bummer. I think missing the last preseason game was kind of a death knell for his uh, opportunity in Minnesota, which sucks because that's not his fault. But uh, that also means that if he clears waivers, he reverts to injured reserve and can stay there. I think he stays there for the whole season, but if he actually does get healthy, he can uh, press for an injury settlement, which makes him a free agent, and then the Vikings pay him only for the weeks that like he missed. Um they also terminated the contracts of Jake Gervais and Tanner Vallejo, as well as Sheldon Day, and uh, they also cut Ross Blacklock. That happened a little bit later after they announced the uh, big chunk of 15 cuts. So Sheldon Day's an interesting one because they had, um, a, I thought he had a great preseason. And he might be somebody that they want to like sneak back onto the practice squad uh, or just kind of have on speed dial for uh, bringing up in the season if somebody else gets hurt. But the two roster cuts that actually affected my 53-man roster prediction were Sheldon Day and uh, the the Vidarian Low trade. I had Sheldon Day in my 53-man roster prediction, probably overreacted to a good preseason, and maybe they weren't as excited about him. Um, I, I should... Answer another question that somebody asked, which is from Wilby Twins, who asked, what is the difference between the contract being terminated and the players being waived? Isn't being waived also having your contract torn up? So yes, both of those things are being released from the team. 
Uh, the difference is a cap thing, and it, it has to do with like how much experience you have. So if you have, I think it's four or three or four years of experience, I think it's four, you become a quote-unquote vested veteran, which means you've kind of been around the block enough, you're through your rookie contract, and you don't get, you, there, there's not, a, like you have a little bit more freedom. If you're a, a Calvin Avery, right, undrafted rookie, and you sign your undrafted deal, if you're a draft pick and you get cut your rookie year, um, you go through waivers. Other teams get a chance to claim you before you hit free agency in earnest. So there's a chance if somebody claims you that you don't get to pick your new destination. Other teams get to do that. And that is kind of a way of saying, hey, if if a team drafts you in the sixth round and then decides that they're going to cut you, um, everybody else should kind of, maybe somebody else would have taken you with a seventh round pick, right? So everybody else should kind of get a shot and we'll, we'll use draft order to keep that fair. Um, or, you know, whatever waiver priority is at that particular moment in time. That also means if you do get claimed on waivers, your contract transports to the other team like you were traded. Um, so they pick up your guaranteed salary and all of that other stuff. A terminated contract is the vested veteran move, and that is a lot cleaner. There's no waivers. There's nothing like that. You're just cut. And whatever dead cap comes with that comes with that, and you're just gone. And good luck. You're now an unemployed person that is free to take a contract with another team or go to the XFL or decide you want to buy a, a small bed and breakfast somewhere in rural Idaho. You can do whatever you want. <laughs> and that is um, also because you don't go through waivers, um, that can be something that uh, like waivers takes a day. A, like a full 24 hour period to like process. So if I wanted to say release one of these undrafted guys that we, I want to release Kalon Barnes, but I actually want to bring him back later. I need to wait a whole day for that to happen for a vet, vested veteran. I can sign him and he can sign with the, the next guy in like an hour. And sometimes that matters for like the timeline of stuff. It's all super, super minuscule uh, nitty gritty stuff for the, the most part waived and terminated and waived injured and all of that stuff for, for most of what you need to know for following the Vikings. You can think of it all as, yeah, they released him. Um, and if you really want to track and nickel and dime the cap and stuff like that, then you, then you can get to know that stuff. I have a whole bunch of other questions, a lot of them about these uh, roster cuts, but some other stuff as well. So I want to make sure that I get to them all. Uh, but first, let's talk about buying tickets to games. Um, getting tickets, especially at the last minute, can be a total nightmare. Not only do they get marked up to the sky, but it's also just kind of hard to find them, especially for games that might be, you know, big ticket thing, the Vikings Packers, that kind of thing. Um, that's where game time comes in. You don't have to plan months in advance. You probably shouldn't have to plan months in advance just to go to a sporting event. And game time has more than just uh, Vikings games or Timberwolves games or Twins games. They have all that, but they also have theater, concerts, all kinds of great stuff. And they have flash deals on last-minute tickets. They have a way to see pictures of where those seats are, so you can make sure you have the view that you want, you're not behind a pillar or whatever. And they have a game-time guarantee that means that you will always get the best price. If you find the same section, the same row for a better price, game-time will refund you 110%. They'll even throw a little bit extra on there for your trouble. So go to game-time, download the game-time app, create an account, and use code locked on NFL for 20 bucks off of your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code locked on NFL for 20 bucks off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. 
Thank you so much for making Lockdown Vikings your first listen of the day each and every day. My hashtag everydayers. I love y'all. Shout out if you can. And if you want more content like this, you can check out patreon.com slash NFL, where I do film breakdowns all throughout the season. And for less than five bucks a month, you can come down and uh, get those exactly when they drop instead of having to wait a week like everybody else does. Uh, once again, that's patreon.com slash NFL. Moving on with this Twitter Tuesday, this is a question a lot of people asked some version of this with someone that got cut from Skull Ethan, who asks, do you think Josh Sokol will be picked up off waivers or is he a lock for the practice squad? I would say if he does clear waivers, he's very uh, likely to be on the practice squad or someone will be there at center. It's interesting. The guys that are cut first are typically not the ones that they that have like the best shot at the practice squad, but that's more of a tendency and less of a hard and fast rule. There's always kind of someone, but I would anticipate Josh Sokol being on the practice squad again. Um, but if he does get picked up somewhere, or maybe he goes to a different practice squad on a team that he feels like is easier to crack. Uh, sometimes guys will do that after a couple of years of not making this roster. I'm going to go take a practice squad slot somewhere else. Will he be picked up on waivers? I don't think so. And and again, the way this works is if you got cut today, you have to be picked up on waivers tomorrow, which is cut down day, and there's going to be all kinds of extra complications there. They're going to have to make an extra roster spot for you on their initial cut down day, uh, which they can't do using IR, for example. Uh, if you have a player that you want to put on IR, unless you're okay with it being season-ending IR, but if they just have a concussion and you want them to be on the kind where they can come back for three weeks, they have to be on your team tomorrow, and you can't use their roster spot to do a waiver claim uh, unless that guy is still going to be a free agent or on a practice squad on Wednesday or Thursday and so on. So um, you have to manage that in a different way uh, and that might be kind of the reason that certain guys are cut on certain days, but do I think he will be picked up off waivers? No. I, and I think for the most part, it probably not is going to be the answer to like most of these people. Will they be picked up on waivers? If you cut a fourth or a fifth round draft pick, then you can say, all right, well, somebody might've had a sixth round grade and might be thinking they're getting a free sixth round guy on there. Right? Like the Vikings said, they were thinking they were getting with like Tay Allen. Um, they might be seeing that as a free draft pick. But for, like, undrafted guys, you know, the Andre Carters of the world, the Garrett Moggs, the Josh Sokols of the world, everybody is cutting, like, 20 of their own guy there. And remember, to pick up a guy off waivers, you're not just putting them on your own practice squad. You can negotiate that. You can try to convince them to come to your practice squad instead of their old team's practice squad. But you have to negotiate that in earnest. You have to give them more money or give them a reason. Uh, to, to pick them up on waivers, the thing the Vikings can't do anything about you have to put them on your 53-man roster. So you got to ask yourself, did this dude make en do well enough to get rostered? We're talking about, you know, the, the standard of play. We're not sure if Luigi Villan or Nick Muse or Dwayne McBride hit or Jalen Rager. Like, we're talking about that level of play. So when you're talking about the, the, the Josh Sokols and the, the undrafted free agents we kind of wish we could keep, nine times out of ten, that guy makes it and is on the practice squad, and it's not an issue. Sometimes they get poached. It happens, uh, but it happens a lot more rarely than everybody gets gives it credit for. Uh, Tyler Ireland asks, do you think the Vikings have any interest in Desmond King? I don't think I do. Uh, no, I, I think he's old, honestly, at this point. And I think that that's that the Texans cutting him is kind of evidence of that, because like the Texans, they do not need to make like cap clearing moves. They got a QB on a rookie contract and they have a roster made of pure volcanic ash. 
Like, it's nothing. It's worthless. Uh, they do not need to do nickel and diamond cap moves. And he had made, like, two mil or something like that. Like, they didn't need to be doing that. Uh, they need veteran leadership pretty bad, actually. So him not making that team is a bit of a red flag for me. Uh, Evan asks, has any reporter asked or gotten info on how Jefferson will attack being pressed or chipped at the line? Seemed last year when he was hit at the line, his stats were lower. I forget if I answered this one last week or not. I'll do it again. Um, the Justin, Je- everybody gets worse when they get pressed at the, when, if they get jammed at the line, everybody's worse. So that's going to be, it's like saying, Hmm, is Kirk Cousins worse under pressure than when the pocket is clean? Like, it's like you, you didn't come up with an insight. That's everybody. Um, so last year, what you're probably talking about is just versus press coverage. And a lot of the time that he got press coverage, it was when that corner could be in squat technique. This was the big thing with the Packers game, Jair Alexander last year. He was in squat for a lot of that game. So it was Trevon Diggs and all the guys that their fan bases are all puffing their chests out, thinking that guy like one-on-one clamped Justin Jefferson, when in reality, they were playing squat technique. Uh, that's the, the Fangio word for it. Um, or right, palms is another word for it. Uh, it's cover two corner. Um, the seven eleven job <laughs> to, to quote Mike, Mike Zimmer. But when you're in cover two, you got a safety over the top of you, right? Um, that means you do not have to worry about anything deep. So you can overcommit to that jam without worrying about the things Justin Jefferson would do to beat it releases outside or interesting, you know, jab steps. Some of the release techniques that he has are meant to beat a press jam and then go vertical. And if you lose to that thing, that's fine. You were passing that route off anyways, and it helps you play that. Now, my whole thing on that is there's no shame in playing squat technique. That's great. You did your job. You did it really well. So great game, Jair Alexander. Great game, Trevon Diggs. Um, But it it doesn't, it kind of takes the wind out of the like, ooh, this matchup that you kicked his butt, like that kind of thing, right? Um, So the answer to that is A, punish cover two. And that's Jordan Addison. That's the whole reason he's here, right? And TJ Hawkins. So that, that's the reason that those two guys have joined in the last calendar year is to punish cover two, to be able to run backside digs and things up that seam and corner routes that can uh, punish cover, the, you know, the classic holes in, pun- in, in cover two. Um, and the second way is certain, there's certain releases and stuff, the art of being a receiver and all that, that Justin Jefferson could also deploy. Uh, Mario asks on Monday's episode, you said Jaron Hall would likely be the scout team QB, thus playing the role of opposing quarterbacks and practices. How does a rookie like that then go about learning and bettering himself at his own team's playbook and materials? So that's a good question. And I think being on the scout team can be a blessing and a curse in that way. It's a blessing because you get to learn how a lot of different offenses work. If kind of one week at a time and you get to learn strengths and weaknesses and you get to grow generically as a quarterback. But yeah, it doesn't get you more familiar with like the reads in Kevin O'Connell's playbook. But over the course of the whole week, I mean, that's just what you're doing like on the field, right? Over the course of the whole week in the meeting rooms, right? Quote unquote, on the whiteboard, you are basically acting, and this will be Mullins and Jaron Hall, will basically be acting as assistant quarterback coaches. You'll be scouting. You'll be looking at, you know, this is how this safety plays that. And you'll be trying to come up with ideas. And you'll be trying to come up with um, a lot of, like, this is the way Cousins likes it, is he likes you to kind of be a naysayer and come up with all the different possible things that could go wrong. Nothing is too insane. What could they possibly do? Let's try to think of everything. And I think thinking in that way 
really helps you to understand the offense because you're constantly thinking about its weaknesses. And that is a way to, to familiarize yourself with it and a way to familiarize how you approach covering up those weaknesses. Um, but yeah, there is something to that. And, and some people would super disagree with me and say, yeah, no, that's actually a huge issue. That's why we're bringing in this practice squad, whoever to go actually be the scout team quarterback so that Jaron Hall can develop without that, that job. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I, I think it can be, um, more useful than not. I've got a few more questions here, including some spicy stuff about Trey Lance. So, uh, yeah, let's keep it rolling. It's the Locked On Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. The next question on Twitter Tuesday comes from Ari, who asks, is there a chance Ivan Pace becomes an every-down linebacker by the end of the season? My gut says, so like, I guess it depends on what how you're asking. My gut says, like, sure, he can be that good, I, I guess. Like, why not, right? Anybody can. Um, who am I to say that he can, can or can't be that good? But... I don't think there will be such thing as an every down linebacker for Brian Flores's defense in the same way that we're used to, you know, Kendricks and Barr, every single snap, 100%. Maybe Asamoah will be on for 100% of the snaps or something. Um, but I think it's more, they're, they're going to be a little more specialized and rotating out depending on what sort of sub, sub package we're in, what kind of front we want to do, what kind of runs we think we're going to see. Um, so if a an every down linebacker exists... I don't buy this stuff about him overtaking Brian Asamoah um, and, you know, taking like the starting job from him. There's they have different jobs that you can, I guess, both call a starter. I also I think I saw something that uh, somebody said that he was named a starter. I could not find ver- verification on that. I think that might have been a fake news thing that somebody picked up and ran with. But um I think that that is a distinction I just don't care about. I think talking out, talking it out, that's that's where I'm landing. Is he an every down linebacker or not? I could not care less. He will play however much he plays, and he'll be used in the way strategically. He will be deployed in the way that that Brian Flores sees best fit, not because of an evaluation. Not I mean, if he plays, you know, thirty percent of the snaps, and Brian Asamoah plays eighty percent of the snaps. That doesn't necessarily mean that they only think Brian uh, Ivan Pace is worth playing 30% of the snaps. It just means that that's how often that situation came up that game. You know what I mean? It's sort of, there's a point where it becomes no longer an evaluative thing. They, they don't dole out snap counts that way. It's more about skill set and formation and, and personnel groupings, and the offense has as much control over the snap counts as the defensive coordinator does because of who they can put out there and therefore who the Vikings would put out to match. Uh, Tinder Troll asks, why do we never see crossover and punt return and kick return specialists? Back when it was Patterson, we had Cheryl's. Now it's Ken A and Powell, maybe. Why can't one do both? What makes them so different? Fantastic question. Um, very different skill sets. So your your instinct is right. There, there is something that makes them very different. Uh, as a kickoff person, it's a lot of pick a seam and go. It's kind of It's kind of one decision and slash. So it's more about acceleration and top speed and 40 stuff, right? 40 times stuff. This is why Kene Wongwu, who is also, that's kind of his style as a running back. And you'll see a, ro- a lot of running backs be kick returners for that exact reason. Because a lot of um, running, especially like zone running, is basically pick a gap and go, right? Um, duo and, and power and stuff, there's a little bit more. But it's pick a gap, slash, and when you find an open field defender, now you got to break down and start juking and doing your ball thing. Punt returning is a lot more immediate, a lot more quick, and you're kind of immediately in that open field world. 
as a kick returner, you catch the ball and you get to read it. You can go and say, that's a lane, that's a lane, that's a lane. Okay, I like that one, go. And then it's just a matter of top speed. Punt returning is a lot more about agility and juke and jive. Um, you will oftentimes will have to, if you're going to return a punt, and by the way, the decision of whether or not to ter- return a punt, totally different calculus, right? With kickoffs, you're basically at a yard line. Um, if I'm, you know, however far into the end zone we talked about this week, if I'm five yards deep into the end zone, I'm letting it go. If I'm at the goal line, I'm not, or however you talked about it, but it's going to be predetermined. There's not as much thinking, um, as there is in a punt return where you're going, okay, that guy's coming. I think I can take him and you know, where's my lane and is it going to happen? And is he close enough? And what's the hang time of that punt? And then you got to make your fair catch decision or not. Um, and then if you do catch it and you didn't fair catch it, you got to catch it and basically make a move immediately. You never have to do that on a kickoff. And it's a lot more like punt returns are decided a lot more by can you catch it and field it cleanly? And that's so much more important than on a kickoff where if you do muff it, you pick it right up and it's embarrassing, but fine. Um, if you do catch it cleanly, you got to make a big move and then you start picking a lane, but you're kind of already in it. So you have to think and react and move a lot faster, not necessarily as contingent on full on top speed, because you probably never get to top speed on a punt return. And if you do get to your top speed, you're probably already gone, whether you're a four, three guy or a four, five guy, you know? Um, so there's a lot, a lot of differences, but it's, I think it's one's a top speed game and one's an agility game. I think is like the main one. Skull Bunch of Numbers asks, do guys like Ta'amu who get bought in, brought in as a body to toss in if they need one in the last preseason game get any money or count against the cap in any way? So <clears throat> they do get money. I mean, they get paid for their time, right? They're not coming in on, on, on zero. So they'll get some kind of stipend, I think, for like just like the practices and games you participated in. Um, definitely a negligible amount. I mean, we're not talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars here, right? You'll get whatever you get for that weekend. And that's that in terms of the salary cap. I don't know if you're familiar with the top 51 rule, which is what's at play here. So before cut down day, only the, t- the 51 biggest contracts count toward the salary cap, everything else you ignore, um, on cut down day. That's no longer true. Once you cut down to 53 players, all 53 contracts count and all your practice squad contracts count. But when you have 90 players on the roster, they go, all right, all these lower roster guys, we can kind of pretend they don't exist on the salary cap. They still make their money. But for somebody like Jordan Ta'amu, who didn't have any guaranteed money, he gets his stupid little stipend and that's it. Um, it he, he doesn't actually get any of that like guaranteed contract money. It gets ter- terminated and that's that. I don't actually know if that stipend counts against the cap, but if it does, it certainly is not a significant amount. It's It's something you can pretty easily ignore. Um, and, and also something that like every team would have, so it wouldn't be a competitive advantage anyways. Everyone had 90 players and then everyone had to cut the same amount of them. Purple Drink asks, we'll do two more here. Purple Drink asks, now that Trey Lance is traded to the Cowboys, does this mean that everyone will finally stop with this Trey Lance to Minnesota nonsense? I'm so tired of people talking about it. Nope. RNCROE asks, how can you say Trey is a bust and wouldn't be worth the Vikings going after? Are you saying Sam Darnold played better in preseason? Okay, people came at me so hard about this. I got tweets, people in the YouTube comments went insane. Yeah, Sam Darnold played better in preseason. What? Yes, he did. I know that's crazy and it doesn't match up with your priors. It's time to let your draft priors go. Uh, Sam Darnold just like is a better quarterback right now and, and it's not particularly close. And... 
most of the argument with Lance is, well, yeah, of course he's the better quarterback right now, but the, but Lance was supposed to develop and he didn't because he got hurt and Kyle Shanahan is the Wicked Witch of the West and all that stuff. Um, it sounds like a lot of excuse making to me. I always think of this as like, if Trey Lance were a Viking and the Vikings traded three first round picks to get Trey Lance and he was then on the depth chart behind Nick Mullins to start his third year. How would Vikings fans react to that? Or is the grass maybe just a little greener on the other side? I think about the way, you know, these are the, the to me, these are the same people that look at Lewis seen being stuck behind Cam Bynum and Josh Metellus and went, oh my God, this dude's a bust. Let's see if we can trade him for a fourth round pick. <laughs> it's, you know, su suddenly when it's not a Viking, whoa, 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 we got to be way more patient here. Um, and I'm, I'm very patient with draft picks, like way more patient than most with draft picks. But here's here's what I'll say about Trey Lance. He is no longer on the 49ers. To me, that makes it a colossal bust, right? Because the 49ers are no longer getting value from the thing they traded through first round picks to fourth. They got a fourth round pick back. That's a catastrophe. And maybe you don't want to use the B word, then use the C word. It's a catastrophe. Um, I think about a guy like Geno Smith, which is really the only other situation I can think of where a guy was drafted really highly as a first round pick and then flamed out with the team that drafted him, but then had a renaissance somewhere else. And Geno Smith took like eight years to do it, right? He just developed super, super, super slow. Maybe that's Trey Lance's career path. Maybe he'll be a good quarterback in 2029. That doesn't really go very far when you're looking at the 49ers. I don't think 49ers fans will find much comfort in that. Um, so I, I see, you know, the, the definition of bust is going to be different depending on what conversation we're all having. If he maybe someday turns into a good quarterback, does that mean he wasn't a draft bust? Personally, I kind of say no. I kind of say, hey, look, he, the team that drafted him, that busted. And if he figured it out because he got a fresh start somewhere, then that's fine. But I also think that that is an exceedingly rare thing to happen. And I think some people are just sort of assuming that as soon as he just gets just the right chance and the right opportunity and a coach that believes in him, and then maybe then he's going to come, then it's totally all going to come together like it was supposed to. It was never a, 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 even a probable thing. The, the 49ers drafted him understanding that he was a really risky prospect that we hadn't really seen a lot from, and he was all athletic potential, and we're going to take a swing, and it's a risk, and we know it's a risk. Well, the risk didn't pay out. That's fine. I don't, I don't begrudge the 49ers that, but I do have an issue with people just sort of assuming that it's going to work out as soon as he gets to my team, which is so much of a better organization, as if San Francisco and Kyle Shanahan's offense are the most QB friendly place in the entire league by a mile. Like if, if a QB is going to succeed anywhere, it's there. They got Brock Purdy and Sam Darnold and they're like second favorite to win the NFC. And that is absolutely correct. They should be. Um, so when it comes to how can I call him a bust? Because he busted Broski. He's a cowboy now. It's over. <laughs> and, and if he he's not going to start over Dak Prescott, Cowboys are way too committed to him. He is now a Devi project that is like a total flyer that they did for a fourth round pick, which is way more than anybody else bid. And everybody else was talking about conditional sixth. They actually slammed down like a real draft pick. So he's just going to be a backup there probably for the rest of his rookie contract. And then maybe they'll keep signing him to one-year deals as a backup. And then eventually he's going to hit free agency. He'll have never played. It'll be four years. And he'll be in a QB competition with some Andy Dalton type that we think is a laughing stock now. And that's going to be his deal. The way I said this on the Minnesota Football Party is, Trey Lance is going to be on an NFL Top 10 show. 
you know, the top 10 show that NFL Network does, he's going to be on that. He's not going to be on the episode you want him to be on. I'm sorry. Um, Potential stops being interesting after year two. Two years in the league, you got to start putting something real together. And Trey Lance, honestly, he looks like he got worse. So, yeah, I feel pretty comfortable with that one. Tomorrow, we'll go over all of the cutdowns. And um, later in the week, I'm going to do the podcast version of the Jaron Hall Patreon piece that is should be up now uh, by the time you listen to this. Or it will be up soon if it isn't up yet. So make sure you tune in for all that. I'll see you all tomorrow. And as always, Skull.